Hello, hello. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to C4C Apologetics. As I promised, this is the second part in a two-video series talking about Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Now, if you haven't checked out the first video in the series, I encourage you to time out, pause this video, stop the video, whatever the case is, go back to that first video and check it out. What does Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, what is it not saying? So many times we get this idea, the fact that this is a universal evangelistic message. This is a passage to go ahead and reach the lost for Christ. But is that truly what it's saying here in the passage? And I would argue that's not the original intended meaning of the passage. So this video is actually saying, what does Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, what is it saying? And so those of you that know me know that I am not a man of genetic fallacies. I don't want to go ahead and hold to a particular view because of its origin. I don't agree in the fact that orthodoxy dictates accuracy. I reject that idea, that thought. What I want to look at is what does scripture say? And sometimes there's teachings, there's doctrines, there's uh, concepts within the Bible that one verse doesn't really uh, give all the information. We have to do what's called systematic theology. We have to see from the Bible, from the entire scripture perspective, what does everything say about this topic or this doctrine? And then from there, figure out what is that verse actually saying within the bigger Bible context. And so with what I truly believe, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 is actually saying, we're going to take a journey through some passages, some systematic theology, if you will. And this may be new to most of you, to some of you, to one of you, maybe to none of you. I don't know who's watching this, but I encourage you just stick with me through the video and just see where this is going. And this is not where you're cherry picking a verse here and a verse here to fit your theology. But when we're talking about the end times, yes, you heard that right. The end times, we got to look at it from a whole and see, okay, Joel says a little bit here. Micah says a little bit here. Zechariah says a little bit here. The Olivet Discourse talks a little bit about it. So let's see the end times as a whole. Where does Romans chapter 10 fall into play? With that, because this has a lot of passages I'm going to be talking about, I do have some notes that I jot down here, and I want to go ahead and try to step this through in a logical progression in a somewhat quick format to match the timeline of the first video, which was, I think, about 7 minutes, 40 seconds, whatever the case is. And so, remember, hopefully you've already paused it, looked at that first video, because spoiler alert, spoiler, I don't know why I said it so so like that, but spoiler alert. There's three main ways we can tell Romans 10, 9, and 10 is not this universalistic, evangelistic gospel message call. Number one, because scripture clearly reveals that there are people that believed in Christ but did not confess. Number two, logic and reason dictates the fact that a deaf, a mute, uh, don't, doesn't have the capability to confess, verbally declare Jesus as Lord. And then what if somebody goes around and cuts people's tongues out? Now they logically can't confess, if you will. And then we looked at the third aspect that if we require confession for salvation, we've just added a work to salvation, the reception of the gospel message. And we know that it's by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so we saw that in the last video, it is not a universalistic gospel presentation. Now, it's, it's okay using it like that, but in its context, it's not, that's not what it's getting with. So like I said, I'm going to be looking down looking at my notes so that we can keep this uh, consistent. 
in an illogical flow pattern. So first, what is it talking about? Well, to understand Romans chapter 10, we have to understand the bookends. We have to understand Romans chapter 9 all the way through Romans chapter 11. In Romans chapter 10, obviously, yep, 9, 10, right there in the middle of the two. And so we got to look at what is Romans chapter 9, 10, 11 about? And when we look at the fact of these three chapters, we realize that it's all about the Jewish people. It's all about Israel. And we see a transition from Romans chapter 8, 1 through 8, then into 9, where 1 through 8 is really about Jews and the Gentiles and the world. But then we get to 9. It is specifically Israeli-centric all the way through chapter 11, still Israeli-centric. And then we get to Romans chapter 12, which goes back more to the world uh, calling, if you will. So in Romans chapter 10, verse number 1, Paul reveals his heart's desire for all Israel to be saved. He says that in Romans chapter 10, verse number 1. And then we read in Romans chapter 11, verse number 26, Paul says, And so all Israel shall be saved. There's no question about that. Paul is emphatically saying all Israel is going to be saved. So we got to figure out what does that mean? Does that mean Jewish people and Israel gets a free pass to heaven? That's not what it's saying. We have to understand that, along with Romans 10 and Romans 9, in this Israeli-Jewish end times passage. Realize between chapter 9, 10, and 11, Paul quotes the Old Testament a lot. There's a lot of Old Testament quotes. Matter of fact, uh, in the King James Bible, and I'm assuming in English translation Bibles as a whole, there's 90 verses. There's 90 verses between chapter 9 and chapter 11. Out of those 90 verses, a lot of them are Old Testament quotes. Matter of fact, there's 36 quotes spanning 32 verses. That's more than one-third of the verses in chapters 9 through 11 are Old Testament quotes. That's a lot of citing. That's a lot of Old Testament quotations. And so really the key to unlocking 9 through 11 is understanding the Old Testament quotes, how they were meant to be understood back then. And that's what we're going to look at briefly. Romans chapter 11, verse 26, is quoting Isaiah chapter 50, 59, verses 20 and 21. When we read this passage in Isaiah, we realize that the theme there is an eschatological passage, meaning it's a passage of the second coming of Messiah during the end times. That's what Isaiah 59 is referring to. So all Israel shall be saved, out of Zion will come a deliverer. And then in Romans chapter 11, verse number 27, the quotation there is from Isaiah chapter 27, verse number 9. In Isaiah 27, 9, it says, The iniquity of Jacob shall be purged. The iniquity of Jacob, Jacob a reference to Israel, iniquity being in the singular sense, not a plural, it's not iniquities, it's iniquity, a singular sense. When you understand what the iniquity of Jacob is, and you understand what transpired during the life of Christ, we understand Mark chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 12, you come to the terminology of the unpardonable sin. And the unpardonable sin is Israel's national rejection of Jesus as the Messiah based upon their belief that he was possessed by a demon or by Beelzebub or by Satan. And so the unpardonable sin is the fact that Jesus offered the kingdom at that point, the messianic kingdom at that point, but the Jewish leadership of Israel rejected his messiahship, his offer, because they thought he was possessed by a demon. 
And that's where in Matthew chapter 23, uh, Jesus makes the famous statement where he said, uh, Behold, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ offered the kingdom. Uh, they rejected him nationally. And he says, I'm not coming back until you say, Blessed is he is the name of the Lord. No, it's not the terminology. But from a Jewish understanding, that is a phrase, a messianic greeting, a calling for the Messiah. And so Romans chapter 11, verse 27, or yeah, 27, is a quotation Paul uses that at, by the time Romans 11 happens, Israel will be saved because the iniquity of Jacob will be purged from Israel. And then in Romans chapter 10, verse number 1, we see Paul's desire, his heart's desire for all of Israel to be saved. And so when we look at Romans 10, 1, Paul's desire for the salvation of Israel, we look at Romans eleven twenty six and the return of Messiah that's going to remove the ungodliness from Israel. And then we get to Romans eleven twenty seven that Messiah's return is going to be removing that singular iniquity the unpardonable sin, if you will, from the national leadership of Israel. So that's sort of the bookends. That's from Romans 10 to Romans 11, his desire for salvation, and then Israel's actual salvation, a couple of the Old Testament quotes and what it actually meant regarding the second coming of Christ and how the unpardonable sin fit in. Now, when we get to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Let's look at a few verses before that, or after that. Romans 10, 11 through 13 is a quote uh, from Joel chapter 2. So when we read Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, we understand that this is, again, an eschatological passage. Joel is writing about the end times, dealing with the tribulation period and the Jewish people. Verse 32 reveals the fact that everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be delivered. It says in Joel chapter 2, verse 32, they shall be delivered, or in other words, saved. Now, saved does not always mean salvation, eternal life, uh, spiritual sense. A lot of times, many times, it means physical deliverance. And so during this tribulation period, specifically talking about the Jewish people in Joel's day, he's saying that in the end times, all these bad things are happening but whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be delivered, will be saved through those trials and that tribulation period going on at that time. Then we get to Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Paul brings in a quote from Isaiah chapter 52, verse number 7. And if we were to read Isaiah 52, surrounding verses, we realize that this is a context of the Messianic kingdom in the rulership of Jesus Christ upon the throne in the Messianic kingdom. Only those people who have received eternal life and trusted in Messiah will have the ability, the blessing of entering into that messianic kingdom, while the rest, the unbelievers that have died, they will be awaiting the second death in the lake of fire. And so only the believing Jewish people will be able to enter into the messianic kingdom along with all the Gentiles that are saved, the church as a whole. The reference in Romans chapter 10, verse number 15 uh, blessed uh, are, are the feet that bring the peace, the gospel message, is a possible reference to the future evangelistic campaign of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, 12,000 from each tribe, as well as 
the two witnesses in the book of Revelation, I believe it's in Revelation chapter 11, who I personally believe is uh, Elijah and Enoch. Some people believe it's Elijah and Moses. It, I don't, I just believe it's Elijah and Enoch because those are two people that specifically didn't die. But again, we see Moses and Elijah on Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, it could be them as well. So when we look at those verses, it reads as the fact on during the end times, there's going to be, and we see this in Revelation, a Jewish evangelism campaign by 144,000 Jewish evangelists that are going to reach the remnant of Israel. Now, there are more Old Testament passages, and I'm going to put this up here real quick because I can't see it because of the microphone right now. But in the end, it's going to be the breaking of, of the will of the Jewish people. That's the purpose of the tribulation period. It has nothing to do with America. It has nothing to do with the church. It has everything to do with Israel and Jerusalem, the Jewish people. We clearly see that in Daniel chapter 9, verse number 24, where it says, the 70 weeks is for thy people and thy city, talking to Daniel. So it's for the Jewish people in Jerusalem, Israel, if you will. And so... The whole purpose of the tribulation period is to break the will of the Jewish people so that they can receive Jesus nationally, if you will, as the Messiah. And so those 144,000 witnesses or evangelists and the two witnesses are going to declare the gospel to them. It's unfortunate because during the tribulation period, Scripture records and Zechariah reveals in chapter 13, verse number 9, that two-thirds of the Jewish people will be killed. But there will be one-third left uh, during the tribulation period from the Jewish people. And that is the one-third that we can read in Revelation 12, 14, that we read in Matthew 24, 16, and that we see in Micah chapter 2, verse number 12, it's this one-third Jewish remnant that flees to the mountains where God divinely protects them halfway through the tribulation period. It's going to be that Jewish remnant, that one-third that flees during the middle of the tribulation period, that according to Zechariah chapter 13, uh, I'm sorry, Zechariah chapter 12, verse number 10, that they're going to look upon the Messiah whom they have pierced, and they're going to mourn for him. At that point in Zechariah chapter 13, verse number 9, and a lot of this runs very uh, sequentially when you get to Zechariah, they will call upon the Messiah. It says that. He says, they will call upon me and I will hear them and they will be my people. And so this is the petition of the one-third Jewish remnant that calls upon Jesus as the Messiah to deliver them, just like Joel chapter 2, verse 32 says. At that point during the tribulation period, Matthew chapter 23, verse number 39, where Jesus says, you will see me uh, no more henceforth until you say, blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. Their petition and their beckoning back for Jesus to deliver them as the Messiah is the fulfillment that Jesus is going to come back according to Matthew 23, 39, because they see him as Messiah and they call him back. What does Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, what is it actually saying? If you were to ask me, and I may be one of maybe 12 people that hold this view, but I believe it's very systematic and it's very biblical. Romans 10, 9 and 10 is the view in the fact that 
the one-third Jewish remnant during the tribulation period, will be the ones that will verbally confess Jesus as Lord. They will believe on his Messiahship, and they will verbally confess and beckon and call for his return to deliver them. This will go ahead and finish and fulfill the unpardonable sin. The iniquity of Jacob will be removed and purged from Israel. And then as Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse number 26, and then at that time, all Israel will be saved. Because at that time, the only part of Israel that's left is the believing remnant. And so, yes, at that time, all Israel will be saved. So the only people that have the requirement, according to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, to verbally declare is going to be in a different dispensation, the tribulation period. And it's going to be this Jewish remnant that declares the Messiahship of Jesus and beckons for his delivery. That's what Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 is actually saying. So thanks for checking this out and looking into this. And hopefully this has been enlightening, eye-opening. Let me know in the comments below if you agree, disagree, uh, whatever the case is. Uh, if you disagree, let me know where I'm wrong. Don't just say, oh, you're wrong. Uh, let me know where I'm wrong. And then uh, maybe we could talk about it later and interview stuff like that. But I've done a lot of study and research on this. And, and I really believe this is what that passage is talking about. So thanks for checking this video out. And until next time, God bless.